0: Good morning. My name is Dan. I'm a uh, one of the uh, leaders here at Grace Salisone Church and I am excited even in the midst of a sunny day and it's warm out and it's about three o'clock and everybody just starts to get a little tired, a little bit more tired than usual. Anybody who hasn't napped, kids included, is probably feeling it. But it is a delight. I'm glad we're meeting here and uh, it's just so great that the we gospel goes out twice as much in the morning and then in the afternoon, bonus gospel going out. Um, one of the um, one of the hardest things in life is to fail in an area where you think you're awesome. You guys know what I'm talking about. It was a little over five years ago. It was the day that I would propose to my wife Becky. Uh, we were cooking soup together and that's my thing. I like to cook and I love to cook soup. And, uh, she was so busy helping me plan that she had no idea what I was planning in my mind. And I was so busy planning in my mind that I wasn't paying attention to the soup. With me? And, uh, so I dumped some beans into the hot broth. It was about at a boil. And then I just kind of moved on to other stuff and uh, totally forgot to stir. You guys ever do that? It's cooking 101. If you got nothing else to do, just stir. <laughs> <laughs> so some of the beans gradually became like part of the bottom of the pot. <laughs> and uh, that, that lovely burned smell started to fill the air. And uh, as time passed, you know, the smell only gets worse. Um, Here's all I mean by that. Time makes bad things worse if they don't change. If something is bad and time passes and nothing changes, it will only get worse. We see that around us. Things don't naturally improve on their own. We see it all over and we definitely have seen it all throughout the book of Job. Job... Who has lost everything in his life very unjustly has been visited by his three friends and they started with mild rebukes like it was kind of bad. But they have each taken turn getting more and more hostile and why have they done that? They have done that because they arrived wrong. They arrived believing the wrong things about God and nothing in their hearts has changed. And so, they have only gotten worse. That's how it works with people. And we are now at the beginning of the third and final round of speeches. And people are about to throw some really, really big punches. Um, The man who's going to attack Job in today's text is Eliphaz. And of the three friends, Eliphaz actually began as the most gentle he gave the, probably the softest rebukes. But today, he's going to say the most hurtful words, I believe, in the entire book. But on the other hand, Job has gotten more secure in God. He's gotten better. Job has become, we might say, a fine aroma. And he, and that, that aroma lingers so much that we are still learning from it today. But Eliphaz and his friends, they are becoming a burnt stench. And so that's my goal this week is to help you believe the gospel and in doing that, become a fine aroma to God and not a stench. And here's the stench. It's point one on your outline, the stench of injustice. I'm going to read verse 22. This is Eliphaz. Speaking to Job, then Eliphaz the Temanite answered and said, "Can a man be profitable to God? Surely he who is wise is profitable to himself, is it any pleasure to the Almighty if you are in the right, or is it gain to him if you make your ways blameless? Is it for your fear of him that he reproves you and enters into judgment with you? Is not your evil abundant?" There is no end to your iniquities, for you have exacted pledges of your brothers for nothing and stripped the naked of their clothing. You have given no water to the weary to drink, and you have withheld bread from the hungry, the man with power possessed in the land, and the favored man lived in it. You have sent widows away empty, and the arms of the fatherless were crushed, Therefore snares are all around you and sudden terror overwhelms you, or darkness so that you cannot see, and a flood of water covers you. Is not God high in the heavens? See the highest stars, how lofty they are. But you say, what does God know? Can he judge through the deep darkness? Thick clouds veil him so that he does not see, and he walks on the vault of heaven. Will you keep to the old way that wicked men have trod? They were snatched away before their time. Their foundation was washed away. They said to God, Depart from us. And what can God the Almighty do to us? Yet He filled their houses with good things. But the counsel of the wicked is far from me. The righteous see it and are glad. The innocent one mocks at them, saying, Surely our adversaries are cut off and what they left the fire has consumed. Agree with God and be at peace. Thereby good will come to you. Receive instruction from his mouth and lay up his words in your heart. If you return to the Almighty, you will be built up. If you remove injustice far from your tents, if you lay gold in the dust and gold of Ophir among the stones of the torn bed, then the Almighty will be your gold. And your precious silver, for then you will delight yourself in the Almighty and lift up your face to God. You will make your prayer to Him and He will hear you and you will pay your vows. You will decide on a matter and it will be established for you and light will shine on your ways. For when they are humbled, you say it is because of pride, but He saves the lowly. He delivers even the one who is not innocent who will be delivered through the cleanness of your hands." Now the first thing you might notice is that Eliphaz is no longer using the phrase, the wicked. He's not using that anymore. He is now accusing Job by name. Eliphaz is directly and aggressively seeking justice, but as you might have noticed, He is far from it. You know, let me just list all the false accusations that Eliphaz is making. Verse 5, There is no end to Job's iniquity or sin. Verse 6, Job has exacted pledges of his brothers for nothing and stripped them of their clothing. In other words, Job is accused of extorting money and fleecing people for everything that they have. Verses 7 and 8, Job is given no water to the weary and no bread to the hungry. He has sent widows away empty. He has crushed the arms of the fatherless, the orphans. In other words, Job is merciless. Do you remember last week how Zophar painted a merciless picture of God? Eliphaz is going one step further than that. Where Zophar was merciless towards Job, Eliphaz is now accusing Job of being the merciless one. This is injustice. There is nothing true to the accusations That Eliphaz is making he has completely lost touch with reality and so he just continues this tirade all the way through verse 21 and that's where he issues a call to repentance did you see that in verse 21 now I almost just kind of threw at these words out with all the other ones because they just kind of look so crazy But if you look closely, you'll realize that Eliphaz's words here are actually true. They're just misplaced. Here's what I mean. Here's a summation of what will happen to Job if he repents according to Eliphaz. Look at verse 21. If Job repents, he will be at peace and good will come to him. Verse 23. Job will be built up. Verse 25. The Almighty, that is God, will be Job's precious gold and silver. Verse 26, Job will delight in the Lord and lift his face to the heavens. Verse 27, God will hear Job's prayers. Verse 28, if he repents, Job's plans will be established and a light will shine on his ways. That is a nice painting of hope and it's a true painting of hope but here's why it's misplaced job does not need to repent of any of these things none of eliphaz's accusations are true instead of looking to god instead of seeking the truth instead of drawing out job and in doing that realizing his error what eliphaz is doing is just kind of he's just kind of lowering his head leaning in, bearing down, squeezing Job, and his strategy is being exposed right in front of us for the total sham that it is. And here's why it's a sham. Look at me. Everything that Eliphaz just promised to Job through repentance, Job actually already has it or he's going to have it. Let's go back over the list. I'll show you. Verse 21, Eliphaz has said, Job, you'll be at peace and good will come to you. Job has peace. He already has it. He has peace in what matters. Not on earth. He doesn't have peace on earth. He doesn't have peace in his children. He doesn't have peace in his stuff. He has peace in the God of heaven. Verse 22, Job is being built up. He is flourishing in the truth of who God is while his friends are just kind of fading away. Verse 25, God is Job's gold and silver. Job doesn't have any gold or silver. He doesn't have anything left. So he clings to God who's going to vindicate him. And so verse 26, Job does delight in the Lord. That's all job is talking about and verse 27 god does hear job's prayers because you know what job's prayers are the desires of his heart are that he wants god to appear and god will appear not now but later and lastly in verse 28 job's plans will be established because Job's plans are to be redeemed. Job has everything, or will have, it, have everything, that Eliphaz has promised. And so we can see that Eliphaz's campaign for justice is just kind of bankrupt at this point. And his last words in the book, verses 29 and 30, they're the most ironic of all. Eliphaz says that God even delivers the one who is not innocent. Now, Eliphaz thinks he's talking to Job, right? But Eliphaz is really speaking to himself. God will deliver Eliphaz though Eliphaz is the guilty one. Job has said at the end of the last chapter that his friends have nothing left but falsehood and we can see that Right here, there's total injustice. Nothing is true and good about what Eliphaz is saying. He's just wrong. And here's what we learn from Eliphaz. It was all over my illustration at the beginning. If sin is ignored, it will not leave. It will only get worse. Eliphaz is a man that's actually completely drowning in sin at this point. And he is so blind that he doesn't even know it. This is the first point in the book where I kind of stopped feeling angry at Job's friends and I started feeling sad for them because they're lost sheep. You ever meet somebody like that? They're just so often wrong that you actually can't even get mad at them anymore. You're just sad for them. They are lost sheep. And here's their only hope. Their only possible hope is a shepherd's crook right to the side of the head. You know what I'm talking about? Because it's either that or the sheep goes over the cliff. It's one of the two. The best hope they have in life is a shepherd's crook right to the head. And Job is going to give them one of those in his later speeches. But for now, let's just hear his response. To what Eliphaz says, and it might surprise you a little bit. Point two. The aroma of justice is not here. I'm gonna read chapter 23 first. And then talk a bit, and then we'll go on to 24. Then Job answered and said, Today also my complaint is bitter. My hand is heavy on account of my groaning. Oh, that I knew where I might find him, that I might come even to his seat. I would lay my case before him and fill my mouth with arguments. I would know that he would answer me and understand what he would say to me. Would he contend with me in the greatness of his power? No, he would pay attention to me. There an upright man could argue with him, and I would be acquitted forever by my judge. Behold, I go forward, but he's not there, and backward, but I do not perceive him. On the left hand, when he is working, I do not behold him. He turns to the right hand, but I do not see him. But he knows the way that I take. When he has tried me, I shall come out as gold. My foot has held fast to his steps. I have kept his way and have not turned aside. I have not departed from the commandment of his lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my portion of food. But he is unchangeable, and who can turn him back? What he desires, that he does. For he will complete what he appoints for me, and many such things are in his mind. Therefore, I am terrified at his presence. When I consider, I am in dread of him. God has made my heart faint. The Almighty has terrified me. Yet I am not silenced because of the darkness, nor because thick darkness covers my face. Now, Job might sound kind of depressed, but I don't think he is. He wants to see God. In fact, he says something in verses 8 and 10 that I can really relate to, and I hope you can too. Look at verses 8 through 10. Behold, I go forward. God's not there. I go backward, but I don't perceive him. On the left hand, when he is working, I don't behold him. He turns to the right hand, but I don't, dece- don't see him. But he knows the way that I take. Job can't see God. But his hope is not in his ability to see God. His hope is in God's ability to see him. But he knows. I can't see him, but he knows. And I think this is the key reason for what Job says next in verses 11 and 12. Look at him with me. My foot has held fast to his steps. I have kept his way and have not turned aside. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my portion of food. Now, Job's words here are in such contrast to what Zophar said back in chapter 20. Do you remember Zophar said the wicked, people like Job, fill themselves with poison. It's what's in their stomach. But Job here is arguing that he values the words of God more than food. That's what's in his stomach. Job is driven completely by God. Doesn't it seem like Job deserves justice for that? I mean, you can see the tension that Job feels Job is working hard to be faithful, but he can't see God. He can't stand before God. And in verses 13 through 15, God is unchangeable. Who can turn him back? What he desires, that he does. For he will complete what he appoints for me, and many such things are on his mind. Therefore, I am terrified. As I said in my opening statement, one of the hardest things in life is to fail in an area where you think you're awesome. And what Job is doing right here is he is admitting that he is not awesome at being God. He's not God. Job is a tiny little bug. He gets it. He gets it, which is why, through all the injustice that he's seeing around him, Job is looking to God, even though he can't see him, and he's doing what God says, even though he doesn't hear back. All his work, though, has brought him only injustice, and the tension will get higher. That's chapter 24. He's going to expand outward, not just to his situation, but to the whole world. Verse 20, or chapter 24. Why are not times of judgment kept by the Almighty? And why do those who know Him never see His days? Some move landmarks. They seize flocks and pasture them. They drive away the donkey of the fatherless. They take the widow's ox for a pledge. They thrust the poor off the road. The poor of the earth all hide themselves. Behold, like wild donkeys in the desert, the poor go out to their toil seeking game. The wastelands yields food for their children. They gather their fodder in the field and they glean the vineyard of the wicked man. They lie awake all night naked without clothing and have no covering in the cold. They are wet with the rain of the mountains and cling to the rock for lack of shelter. There are those who snatch the fatherless child from the breast and they take a pledge against the poor. They go about naked without clothing Hungry, they carry the sheaves. Among the olive rows of the wicked, they make oil. They tread the wine presses, but suffer thirst. From out of the city, the dying groan, and the soul of the wicked and the wounded cries, cries for help. Yet God charges no one with wrong. There are those who rebel against the light, those who are not acquainted with its ways, and do not stay in its paths. The murderer rises before it is light that he might kill the poor and needy and in the night he is like a thief. The eye of the adulterer also waits for the twilight, saying, "No eye will see me," and he veils his face. In the dark they dig through houses; by day they shut themselves up. They do not know the light, for deep darkness is morning to all of them. For their friends with the terrors of deep darkness. You say, swift are they on the face of the waters. Their portion is cursed in the land. No treader turns toward their vineyards. Drought and heat snatch away the, the snow waters. So does shield to those who have sinned. The womb forgets them. The worm finds them sweet. They are no longer remembered. So wickedness is broken like a tree. They wrong the barren, childless woman and do no good to the widow. Yet God prolongs the life of the mighty by His power. They rise up when they despair of life. He gives them security, and they are supported, and His eyes are upon their ways. They are exalted a little while and then are gone. They are brought low and gathered up like all others. They are cut off like the heads of grain. If it is not so, who will prove me a liar? And show that there's nothing in what I say. That's the tension. The injustice is everywhere. The stench of injustice is everywhere. And the aroma of justice is not present. Job points out what the wicked do. Look at verse four. They crush the poor. The poor are forced into hiding. Verse 5, they are like donkeys in the desert. They're like animals hunting for food. Their children eat from the wastelands. Verse 6, they take the scraps left over from the wicked. Verse 7 and 8, they are cold and naked and exposed to the elements. Verse 11, they work under harsh conditions, so they lack basic things like water. And in verse 12, Job cries out, From out of the city the dying groan and the soul of the wounded cries for help, yet God charges no one with wrong. Job is the dying man groaning. Don't miss that. Job can relate. Job was driven from the city. He's living in a dump. Job is crying out to God, Yet here his wicked accusers stand unpunished, unaccused by God. Can you just smell the injustice everywhere? And so Job continues in verses 13 through 21, and he now shifts his focus away from the victims and points out the wicked. Watch out for this list here and see who's on it. The wicked, verse 13, people who don't stay on the path, as in those who break the laws of God. Verse 14, murderers. Verse 15, adulterers. Verse 16 and 17, the summation. All of these people love darkness. Job sees that the wickedness is rampant and there is no justice On earth. And he reaches his climax in verses 22 and 24. Yet, God prolongs the life of the mighty by His power. They rise up when they despair of life. He gives them security. His eyes are upon their ways. Yet they're exalted a little while and then they're gone. They're brought low and gathered up like all others. They're cut off like the heads of grain. God has the last word. Job knows that the unjust are sustained by God and brought down by God, and they will lie down right next to him in death. And so he has resolved that justice may not be found in this life, but it will be found in the next one. And that is a comfort for him and an even greater comfort to us who are in Christ. Injustice is here, but justice is coming. That's point three. And I say that because I think we expect far too much justice in this world. And he could tell that because many of us are so motivated by the false hope of justice in this world rather than the real hope of the injustice of the gospel. Let me explain that. One pastor said it this way. Justice calls us to treat people the way that they deserve. Isn't that justice? Justice. You get what you deserve. The gospel calls us to treat people better than they deserve. And so in Christ, our daily operation should not be, how can I be just, but rather, how can I be merciful? The gospel frees us to not be crushed by all the injustice we see around us because we know this world doesn't have it. Injustices, right? Like the, like the rioting in Baltimore. Have you guys seen some injustices going down this week? If not that, then like all the posts on Facebook that make you just want to hug somebody. (laughs) That was a hug. (laughs) Injustices, like preachers blaming the people of Nepal for the recent earthquake. Have you seen stuff like that? We don't have to be crushed by that mockery of injustice. Why? Because the greatest injustice in history, Jesus' death on the cross. He became, for a moment, a stench to God. Our stench. So that we could be the sweet aroma to the world. And so justice belongs to God and is promised by God. And though we don't see it now, we will see it. He will have the last word so we don't need to be a cheap imitation like Eliphaz. Because you can see the wake of bodies in terms of Eliphaz's relationships with people, with Job's friends. They're just crushing the people around them we don't need to be a cheap imitation like that. We don't have to be. We shouldn't be. So what is our right response? Now, three categories. First, the irreligious. And if you don't know what that means, it means those of you who don't regard Jesus as Lord, like you just don't believe Jesus is Lord. Here's the application. Throw your little selves at the feet of Jesus. If you don't, This earth is as close to heaven as you're going to get. And the justice you see on earth, which probably won't be much, is going to be the best time you ever had. Every broken relationship around you, every hardship in your life is just a taste of what eternity apart from Christ looks like. It's just warming up. God will put a bill on your table that you will not be able to pay. And I don't want that for you. Second category for the religious. Those of you who think your church attendance and tithing and good works make you good. Those of you who can probably identify a little bit with Eliphaz. Here's your application. Throw your little selves at the feet of Jesus. Your daily work is based on a presumption that you will somehow make God pleased with you. Like He's not, but He will be if I do this, I do that. You're actually not much different than the irreligious person. You're still a burnt bean on the bottom of the pot. You just probably use cleaner language. God will put a bill on your table that you will not be able to pay. And I don't want that for you either. But lastly, for those of you who hear the gospel and it penetrates and you're set apart by it, and you are daily throwing yourself at the feet of Jesus, here's your application. Make sure you're actually at the feet of Jesus and not at your own altar. I'll explain what that looks like. Fight daily, just as Job here is straining to believe the truth about God and his body is falling apart and as his friends are failing and as the world looks absolutely corrupt. Here are two ways that you can fight. Number one, love Jesus more. Because of his work and his work alone, there won't be a judgment for you. However your life ends, you will be welcomed into God's presence. And like Job, your Redeemer will look at you face to face. And this earth will be as close to hell as you ever get. And all the injustice around you, just hang in there. It's going to be gone. So every time for now, like practice, every time you're scrolling through your favorite news outlet, And you see another war, and you see another riot, and you see another murder, and you see another broken marriage, and you see another abortion, or as your body just falls apart, just get older and you gradually lose family members, you can know that Jesus will have the last word. So love Him now. Learn more about who He is now through His Word. There's a lot of ways more that you can do that, but I'll move on. The second thing you can do is to hate sin more. You can always hate sin more. So one of the ways that you can do that is to see yourself as that pot of soup. Go back to the soup imagery and know the danger of just one burnt bean. Keep stirring. There are imperfections in even the firmest of believers, right? Get older, you probably have a bunch figured out, but not all of it. There's still areas you can grow in. Keep stirring. You will never be totally pure, but in this life, as you trust in Jesus daily, He will refine you And he'll make you a wonderful aroma. Now, this is not an empty task. He rewards us for that. And we see hints of that reward here on earth. That's how good he is. Because we build and rebuild relationships. You know, you can see like relationships that are broken. People can come back together, trust God together. You can see families reunited because of the gospel. That's God's goodness. you can see it as we defend the gospel, as we preach truth. And all that good work would be totally impossible without Jesus's work on the cross. That's what motivates us to keep our eyes off of ourselves and on him, because we can't do any of the good stuff without the work that Jesus already did on the cross and his continued life and work in the life of the Christian. Because of the Spirit working in with, working in you, you're not alone. One reminder we have of that is something that we're going to be doing right now. We're going to be taking communion. We get to partake and remember Jesus' sacrifice, which keeps us completely sustained throughout our lives. But I got to give a little bit of a caveat first. If you are irreligious or religious, if you're in those first two categories, you probably shouldn't be taking part. And here's the thing. I say that for your good. I'm not trying to shame you over into the corner. Because God's Word says, anybody who takes part in communion without trusting in Christ eats and drinks judgment on themselves. Because you're taking communion and in your heart you're saying, now I'm good. Taking it, now I'm good. You see that? But to those of you who are trusting in Christ, fighting daily to hold fast to the gospel, enjoy this feast. It's a feast over there on that little table. Because it's the best meal you can have. Because it's a reminder that Jesus gave everything for your salvation. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to do things crazy today. We're going to actually start and go this way, not this way, okay? Go this way and get in line and then come back around and find your seat. I'm going to have the musicians come up and uh, play a little bit, but I'll start with the front row and uh, take bread and juice if you're uh, elected to partake, and then we'll take together at the end. Let me pray for us and then we will uh, partake. Dear God, would you work in our hearts? Would you search us? Would you help us to know if there's any unconfessed sin or any just uh, deeply rooted sin in our lives? Would you help us to trust you? Lord, And if we're struggling to do that, would you help us to just hold back, just sit back, catch some time with the person that brought us, catch some time with, with a, a believer here that we can remember the gospel and be brought back in and trust you and then joyfully take together. Lord, would you help us to believe the gospel on a daily basis? Lord, it's so hard because the injustice is everywhere. But Lord, we know you're coming back. And we know that when you come back, you're going to right all the wrongs. So Lord, we wait together in patience, and we encourage one another to fight so that we can one day look at you together and sing your praises. Amen.